Hello, I'm Greg Campbell. And I'm Jeff Kaplan. And you're listening to the Urban Advantage Podcast. The official voice of the University of North Texas at Dallas. And the Southern Dallas community. Welcome back to the Urban Advantage Podcast here on the campus of UNT Dallas. I am Jeff Kaplan, here with my co-host Greg Campbell. And we've got a big show today, an important show based on DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. I think everybody knows that these young men and women, known as DREAMers, and their protections right now are under attack, under threat from the current administration, which could ultimately change the entire direction of their lives. So we've got a, a, a really great discussion here today. Greg, let me uh, bring you in here before we introduce our guests. Well, Jeff, I'm so glad that we're doing this today because so many of our students are first-time uh, college students here at UNT uh, Dallas, but they're also dreamers. They have come to this country as young men and women and have grown up in our country and have enrolled in our university, and they find themselves at this current time wondering if they're going to be able to finish their degree, get a job, be able to live their lives out as productive citizens here in the United States. That's why it's so important that we've taken on this this issue. It not only affects our university here at UNT, but it affects our community. So this is something that we are you know, fulfilling our mission to be the voice of UNT Dallas, but also to be a voice of Southern Sector. This is a university that just went over 4,000 uh, in enrollment this fall and 200 DACA students. So that that's a sizable number, and that's just a microcosm of our surrounding community. So this is a hugely important topic right now that affects so many people, so many people in this area, Greg. And, and the thing that gets me is we can, we can debate how they got here, when their parents came, the means they came, why they came. The fact is They're they here. are here. And let's get into our, our – introduce our two guests here today. We have – junior political science major here at UNT Dallas, <clears throat> Roberto Garcia. Roberto is 20 years old. He's been here since he was four years old in this country, not at UNT Dallas. He'll be out of here in four years. <laughs> it won't take him that long to get, get out of school. Roberto uh, wants to be a teacher, okay? He wants to be a teacher. And like I said, a junior political science major, been here since he's four years old. Sitting next to Roberto is Dan Jividen. He is a uh, adjunct professor at the UNT Dallas College of Law in downtown Dallas, now in the beautiful Law Center at uh, 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 106 South Harwood, downtown Dallas, the old City Hall building. And uh, he is an expert in immigration law, recently started his own law firm to uh, really focus in on, on Im- immigration law. So uh, with that, let's let's jump into this, Greg. The document that we refer to is, you know, as you said at the outset, is Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Really what it was is back in 2012, June of 2012, President Obama issued an executive order that really kind of started this program. To be clear, deferred action and giving employment authorization to people who receive deferred action is something that's been happening for a very long time. What this did, though, was it made sure that it 
drew kind of a bright line standard for ICE officials to look and, and at. ICE is what, I, you're going to throw away around those terms. I want to make sure everybody understands what we're talking about. And, and thank you, because I do that a lot. It's my former government uh, attorney side of me. ICE is Immigration and Customs Enforcement. And so really what the policy at its root is, is making sure that ICE, which has a limited budget, budget that Congress gives it, focused its resources on the proper individuals and drew this line, noting that people that fell within what we like to refer to as the dreamers uh, section of society were not an actual resource. And so if you met a number of requirements that Roberto, for example, does, it not only meant that ICE wasn't going to seek to remove those individuals, but also provided an opportunity for them to apply to a different uh, agency under DHS, which is the United States Citizenship and Immigration Service. They would apply there, get their deferred action if they met the requirements, and then would they would be given work authorization. And that continued then, since then. Then you mentioned that some, some requirements. So yes. it's not everybody that had came here as a child can qualify as a dreamer and, and and maybe potentially get some DACA status. So there are some requirements. There, there are, and there are requirements that you know are uh, targeted towards the dreamers. The requirements are that you came here before the age of 16. You had to have been here on or before uh, that June date in 2012, but also you had to have obtained your GED or high school diploma and you couldn't have been convicted of multiple misdemeanor offenses or a felony offense or significant misdemeanors such as drinking and driving. So they are people that have gone to school, haven't committed crimes, and really had no choice over being brought here as a child. So basically these were good kids. Exactly. Kids yeah. that you know had been in our society and were contributing to the society, going on with school and doing what they needed to do. Exactly. And, and, and there is, I would like to say, there is a misconception out there that is perpetuated in a lot of instances by people in government, in high office, that these are people who are not good people, people who should be removed, people who are criminals and drug dealers and so forth. That is not the case. And that's why I'm really glad that we have Roberto here today uh, to to sh- shed some light on this because I'll tell you what Roberto Roberto speaks better English than a lot of uh, Texans I know all right I mean there's some people out there I can't uh, Roberto you speak, you speak English in Texas I don't know what they speak like something <laughs> but Roberto uh, y- you know again for all intents and purposes he's American you know four thank years you. old so thank you Jeff no yeah and, and I agree uh, first and foremost I want to say how grateful I am to be here with you guys today I want to thank. Uh, UNC Dallas for giving us the opportunity to voice our opinions and, and to raise these concerns that are of issue to our community and to communities all over the United States. Um, as you guys previously mentioned, uh, the kids such as myself that are quali- that qualify for this program, that have benefited from this program for so long, if you were to tell us that we were not American, we would be very confused. Um, and so when you have people in office pe- and people in the executive branch, people, uh, bureaucrats, that demos as an Americans, as criminals, or any other term that is used um, to 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 be like looked down upon us, um, I think that's very incorrect to do that. We've been here since a very young age. Um, we've done things that I consider to be American um, that I don't think separate us from a kid that was born here. Um, to us, this is a country that we know and love, and it's honestly the only country that we know. You know. 
if I could, at one point, is these aren't only good kids that uh, you don't have to just meet the requirements that make them good kids. But we've got to remember that most of these people had not most. Everybody did not have the choice over whether they were going to come here with the parents or not. I mean, Roberto, you tell me when my dad was in the military and we were moving, I didn't have a say in it. Did you have any say over where you guys were going when you first came here? Oh, absolutely not. Um, I thought we were. I thought we were going to the store. <laughs> uh, I'm four years old. You went out to the store and you he showed up in Texas. And I showed up in, in a whole new country. Uh, yeah. So I was four years old. Um, I, I got on a bus with my younger sister, who was one at the time. Um, I don't understand how that whole process came about. I just know that I took a nap. I wake up. I'm in a new country. Um, I know nobody. I had no no say or choice over this. Um, so but, you um, came here with your parents? No. My, uh, so my parents, my father came about a year before the rest of us moved. And I think that's the story with a lot of these families. Uh, the dad usually um, crosses the Mexico-U.S. border uh, some way. Um, there's 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 multiple ways in which people have come to this country seeking job opportunities, um, and my father fortunately was one of those people who um, was able to take that risk and cross the border safely. As we know, there's been every year there are casualties uh, along the U.S.-Mexico border, and so uh, I'm very blessed for my father to have been able to take that journey. And so my dad was in the United States for about a year. He was he was working in construction. He was working in welding, and he was sending money back to us. Um, I was born in Durango, Durango, Mexico, and the city that I was born in was not uh, economically flourishing. Um, there was a lot of poverty. There still is. And so we were very fortunate to have um, my father working over here and sending as much as he could back. Um, about a year after he came over, uh, you know, when, when you have a family, you seek that unity. So we're a family of five. My older, my older brother, Max, my younger sister, America, my father and my mother. A year after my father came, he sent for my mom and my brother. They crossed the border as well. Uh, a couple weeks later, my sister and I came over, and um, we were in this new country uh, that we that we didn't know. Um, but we, yeah, I guess to reiterate, we didn't have a choice. Your in, sister's in name here. is America. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's after the soccer team, not the country. There's, okay. there's a super, there's a very popular Mexican <laughs> soccer team named America. Um, right. But it just so happens that we came to America, and so so. When you came to the United States, um, I'm going to assume probably 15 years ago or yes. so. 15 years ago today. 15 years December. ago today? Yes. Okay. For real. Yes. So, today. Dan, when, when, when Roberto <laughs> came to the United States 15 years ago, what was his status? Well, at that point, his status would have been uh, no status, really. He had no legal status to be here, which I... I mean, that's the simple answer to your question is no status at all. And he remained that way, really... Technically speaking, even though he has that DACA status, uh, I'm sure he's heard the government, you know, it's a term of art, so to speak, that it lets you stay here, it lets you work here. But even that's not an actual status at this point in time. So somebody who, who comes over as a child, um, at your, in your case, Roberto, at four years old, you just came. You didn't know where you were. You didn't know why you had come. You came with your sister. And did your mother come over at the same time? My mother came over with my older brother, who was 10 years old at the time when he crossed the border. They came over a couple weeks before we did. Okay, so you, just you and your sister yes. make this trip on the bus? Uh, I think my grandmother was with us at the time, if okay. I remember correctly. Um, we, kind of frightening. Oh, oh absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, as a kid, you see it kind of as an adventure. 
<laughs> um, I mean, we're, we're my grandma's buying us candy at every stop. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking out the window. But looking back on it now, it was a very dangerous uh, trip that we took. Um, there is a lot of crime among the U.S.-Mexico border, and, and we hear of buses getting hijacked all the time um, by different individuals. And so looking back on it now, it, it was uh, a very um, uh, unsafe decision that, my, that, that we took, that my parents took, to send us over through a bus. But uh, fortunately, we made it. So, so I want to ask you a question because th- this is something that's really important. I'm an immigrant. Yes. My, my family came from Jamaica, mm-hmm. okay? And um, I was first generation in this country. So I, I was born here. But because my parents were immigrant, I was always looked upon as an immigrant. So I was looked upon as different. In growing up, having people hearing of your story, how did you feel? How were you looked upon? How were you labeled? What did people consider you? Um, it's, it's very tricky. Uh, so when I got here at four years old, up until I want to say the beginning of high school, um, I was trying to learn the English language. Communication is a big barrier for, 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 um, for the ESL community, the English as a second language community, which, which I'm a part of. Um, and so if you don't speak the language, it's very easy to, it's very easy to get labeled. Um, it's very easy for people not to understand you, not to understand your story or the struggles that you've gone through, especially young kids. And so going through elementary and middle school and learning the language, I was not able to communicate uh, effectively with the adults around me, the educators around me, of who I am, what I, where I come from, and, and my story. Um, but a, a few years down the road, as, as my English got better through high school, um, I, I don't think that, that I had a label on me. I feel like uh, other people saw me just as American as, as they are. Um, I'm very proud of, of my Mexican roots. I'm very proud of, of where I'm from. Um, but I'm also proud of being a contributing member to society here in the U.S. for the last 15 years. Um, and so I don't think people had a label on me because I do the same things that any other 20-year-old American kid born in the United States with a Social Security. We'll excuse does. you of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I watch football. I love burgers. I love the gym. I I. I, I I feel like I do everything that everybody else does. The only thing that separates me is that my parents decided to to move here in the hopes for a brighter future for me and my siblings. And to for them, they do have there is a label on them. Um, people see them as criminals for entering the country illegally, and ourselves, streamers, they see us as criminals um, for entering the country illegally when all we were seeking was you know a, a brighter future. You know, if I could, I'd make two points, which is one, that's one thing I tell people all the time, which is, look, all these parents were doing was exactly what any parent, good parent does, which is try to make a better life for their family. But two, one very critical point to this debate that uh, frustrates me so much when I hear politicians, the media, et cetera, talk about this stuff. They always talk about, well, you got to do it legally. You needed to wait in line, wait your turn. But what the American public doesn't understand is that first and first, you've got to have a family member in the vast majority of cases to come here legally from Mexico. You first have to have a family member that can file a petition for you. But even then, let's say uh, Roberto's dad had a U.S. citizen brother who filed a petition for him back in 1999. Uh, As of today, as we are still speaking right now. That petition filed in 1999 is still at least two years 
away from actually having a visa available. I'm not kidding you. The wait for many of the categories from Mexico exceeds 20 years. That's that's not a line. That's not a realistic thing. So, Dan, is that the case for every country or is it just Mexico is singled out? So if somebody was trying to immigrate here from um, Ireland or immigrate here from Spain or or France, what's the status there? No, it's going to be different. You have uh, countries that are considered chargeability areas, okay? And then you've got on the visa bulletin, a new one is issued every single month by the Department of State. There are specific countries that are singled out, which include, basically it's the countries that you have the most people coming to the United States from, China, India, Mexico, the Philippines, and I'm trying to remember if there's another country that's on there. And then there's another category that's all other chargeability areas. But, you know, Philippines, they have the same sort of weight. The point is, is when everybody's talking about do it the legal way, well, provide a real legal way, not a way where people who filed petitions back when I was first getting my driver's license still aren't coming to the United States. Exactly. Like, and, and, and that's what I like to think about sometimes as well is what would have happened if my parents were to have filed uh, a petition through a current immigration system, quote unquote, the right way. Um, I would have been born in a country where there's little to no opportunity for, for a brighter future, um, where there is little to no opportunity for me to contribute to my community and, and help in one way, shape or form. And so I hate to think um, what would have been the future of my siblings and I and my family had we stayed in, in the country that we were born into. Um and so I commend my parents for being brave enough to make that decision, to come into a country that they knew little of um, against all odds and, and try to provide us with a brighter future, even if it was not the wrong way. Um, Guys, what would happen if DACA went away in its current form? What would happen to Roberto? What would happen to other um, people who are 800,000 dreamers in this country right now 800,000 so you know let that <laughs> let that sink in a little you know fr- here's from my perspective it's a very interesting question uh i was listening to refresh my memory to the supreme court oral arguments earlier uh today when i was coming here from the daca case what would it mean it would mean that probably all these people who have daca i don't think that the day the Supreme Court's decision came out that they would lose that status. But I think that if it were to go the way the Trump administration wants it to, that when the DACA expired, it would be expired. My my hope, and it's not worth the fears, et cetera, that these dreamers are going to have to face. But my hope is that if that happens, it's finally going to force our Congress to actually pass legislation. I mean, the alternative is that the Trump administration has to basically say, forget it. We don't care. You know, take it away. And then for Congress to just sit on their hands and frankly, you know, the hope would be that it would actually force real legislation that not only gave Dreamers like Roberto legal status, but fix so many of the other problems in our immigration system. Roberto, what does that mean? What do it mean to you personally? Yeah, as a dreamer, if the DACA program were to be terminated, um, which is a fear that we all live in constantly, um, as a dreamer, from the moment that you consciously understand that you're here illegally, you you live in fear, you live in doubt, you live in uncertainty. Um, you go to school, you don't know if your parents are going to be there when you come back. So this anxiety that we've lived in, we're, we've become accustomed to it. 
and and we've learned how to work with it and we learn how to use it to our advantage to work harder but if the dream if the if the DACA program were to to end um, that means that the 800,000 individuals such as myself would not be able to work legally in this country um, I, I I live now in a household with just my mother and my sister and economically I'm a, I'm a, I'm a large provider in the household uh, I'm currently employed as a project manager at a software development company named Cratebind where I'm fortunate to, to, to be able to make enough money to pay for my tuition, to help my mother out with rent, to pay for insurance, uh, you know, any medical bills that may come about. So if the DAGA program were, the DAGA program were to be terminated, um, the economic aid that I'm able to provide to my mother will not be there any longer. Um, you pay taxes? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, do I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, not only that, but... Uh, the uncertainty of what will I do with a degree in a country in which I cannot work legally anymore it, is there as well. Um, that, that's that, that's the real terms of this, and, and you yeah. put it into real dollars. And and you know you're working at a software company right now while you're in college. You want to be a teacher. You take away DACA. Roberto can't go to Dallas Independent School District and apply for a job to be a teacher. What's he left with? So he's going to college. He grows up here basically as an American. And what, he's left to go work in the field somewhere? Is that the jobs to go to go mow someone's yard? I mean, is, is that what we're doing to young people in this country who, who came here as young children? Um, so we're going we're gonna to take a quick break. Pick it back up because I also want to talk about the psychological effects that this must have in the Hispanic community of, of the threat of DACA going away and, and, and what that means. So we'll get back into that uh, when we return on the Urban Advantage. Perched on a hilltop overlooking the downtown Dallas skyline, the University of North Texas at Dallas is the only public four-year university in the city of Dallas. Serving the number one job market in America, UNT Dallas is ranked number one in Texas and number six nationally as the most affordable university. We as Trailblazers believe that every student should have the opportunity to earn a college degree regardless of their economic background, and we deliver. For more information, visit untdallas.edu. Blaze your trail. Hey, Roberto, you know, we've been talking about some of the issues about being a dreamer and some of the anxiety it brings about. Talk to us a little bit about that personal anxiety. You know, you said about you know, this sounds crazy, but you may come home and your parents may not be there. Yeah, uh, that, that unfortunately, that's a fear that a lot of a lot of the youth in the nation have to live with. It's 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 an anxiety and a fear that I don't wish on on, on any on anybody. Um, growing up, me and my brother understood the risks that we took and the risks that our parents took every day Um by doing the most simplest things that a lot of us take for granted. You go out for groceries, you may not come back home um, if, if you get caught in an ice raid. Your parents go to work, they might not come home. Um, and so it is a fear that the that the DACA community lives in um, you know, almost every day, and it's very impactful. It, it, it's very unfortunate, but at the same time, it has allowed a lot of us dreamers a lot of the people that are uh, beneficiaries of the DACA program to learn how to how to how to cope with that fear, to use it to where, because you're in this country and because your status in this country is so uncertain, every day you learn how to live with that, and every day you learn how to use it to fuel you to work even harder, to take advantage of every single opportunity uh, that we have. 
back back where I was from, back back where I'm from in Durango, Mexico, simple things such as public education, transportation, uniforms, the two meals that they give you a day are not free. And so because of of, of the fear of going back, we learn how to take even more advantage of all of those things that are provided to us freely through like public school districts or programs as such. Um, but just to reiterate, it it it's it's frightening. It's it's anxiety that a lot of 12 year olds, 11 year olds should not be living with. And, and I'd like to, to play off of that even beyond DACA. DACA is just a part of the overall sort of right. culture right now that, that is out there with the Trump administration in 2016. We are seeing detention camps on the border and in many states. People don't even realize in many states where we're separating families. So there's that fear. Uh, our own professor here, Dr. Jerry Burkett, did a study last year on uh, heavily Hispanic school districts throughout Texas and the effect that the Trump uh, immigration policies are having on students and how principals and teachers are trying to help students sort of calm those anxieties so that they can actually study in school and make good grades. Since 2016, is is there a greater fear? Is there almost a wariness? Almost you have to watch your back in a way? Oh, absolutely. Um, I was a senior in high school uh, the, my first semester as a senior in high school in 2016 when the when Trump was elected president. Um, we have kids in our school and all throughout the Dallas Independent School District that have just arrived to this country from El Salvador, from Mexico, from Honduras, from Guatemala. A lot of these kids did not come back to school for two to three weeks in fear uh, that because of the new administra- this new administration, which which bloated of, of, of sending them all back, um, they they fear that. These kids were missing out on free public education because of an administration that was installing fear-mongering tactics among U.S. constituents. And unfortunately, it was it, it was impacting my friends and, and the students in my community directly. Yeah, yeah. And, and Dan, we know that hate crimes are up in this country. We've seen a shooter who, from not too far away here in Allen, drive all the way out to El Paso and, and shoot up a Walmart uh, and, and we now know why he did that, uh, because of uh, people like Roberto. Um, have you seen in your Hatred practice— for people like Roberto. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, are, are you seeing, you know, are you seeing that consistently, you know, arise? A and, 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 and just in the rhetoric, just, just the hateful rhetoric that, that, that even turns certain people who may not have had opinions one way or another, giving them the reason to have negative opinions. Oh, yeah. I mean— the reality is, is that after the election, uh, I have heard one comedian on Saturday Night Live say, hey, we, we didn't realize how appreciative we were of all of the people with racist thoughts out there that were keeping them to themselves because all of a sudden, you know, this election happens there. and people started thinking, hey, it's OK. And and to the talk about the fear, people got to realize that. Uh, acting, the, there was a person named Tom Homan who was the acting director of ICE for quite a while after Trump took office. And it made me sick to work for an agency where this guy was out there, because at the time I did, I worked as the deputy chief counsel at ICE. Uh, but this guy's out there and he's responding to questions like, should people be in fear with, yes, he literally said, yes, these people should be afraid right now. I mean, it was... Uh, the problem was is they thought that this rhetoric would 
I, I think they thought the rhetoric would stop and stem the tide of people coming up from these countries like Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras, all of which are very, very violent countries. And the reality is it stopped it for a moment, but now uh, that, you know, we keep seeing these caravans coming up and it turns out that the rhetoric alone, you know, yeah. at least didn't stop it. And I, I sorry, I Go think ahead. that the people that are purposefully spread, spreading this rhetoric, um, the people that oppose DACA, I, I think that they do this out of fear of, of, of the future and the way in which dreamers may change this country. You have people who were born in this country who have been here for 30, 40, 50 years uh, and have never gotten their college degree. Um, they have amounted to to almost to almost nothing, and they're afraid that a, a kid who comes into this nation not speaking the language in which Americans communicate gets here, and within a span of fifteen or twenty years gets their bachelor's, gets their master's, finds himself in a career um, in which they never envisioned themselves in. The people that are using this hateful rhetoric against dreamers, they're afraid of our future and what we can become and the way in which we can impact this country progressively. And so they would use fear-mongering tactics to try and, and, and stop our growth and our future here in this country any way, shape, Roberto, or Roberto, why do you think yeah. people are afraid of dreamers? I think people are afraid of dreamers because people are afraid of change. I think they're afraid of the new ideas that we bring. They're afraid of our progressive mindsets. Um, they're afraid that we might steal their jobs, um, which we work every day super hard for um they're afraid that we're gonna change the the way in which the country currently operates which i don't believe it to be the case we want to be contributing members to this country we want to be the teachers and the doctors and the policemen and 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 the u.s armed force members that make this country even greater so that people that are born into the situations in which we were born into can benefit from this country and continue to make it great the right way um but but they're afraid that we're going to steal these opportunities from them which is not the case fear is very powerful right it it's a very strange human characteristic to me that people are afraid of others who are not like them, of them doing better than what they have done. Right. And, and it, it's a very strange concept, and I think we're seeing that play out right now to a, a degree we haven't seen in decades. You know, what's remarkable, though, is there you have those people that have that fear, but the remarkable thing about this battle over DACA right now is – the vast majority of Americans are in favor right. of mm -hmm. some sort of legal status, providing a pathway to legal status and citizenship for the dreamers. Good luck even finding a politician out there that says that they aren't actually for it. And that's why the issue that's one of the issues that's up before the Supreme Court right now isn't the question. Everybody seems to concede that at some point DACA was always a temporary thing and nobody on either side is actually claiming that it can't be rescinded, but their claim is, hey, the reason and rationale that was given, and this is one of the two issues that's up there, was not a real reason and rationale. And that rationale was that it's illegal. It was an illegal thing for the administration to do. And the people arguing for the dreamers, one of them pointed out, look, if they want to say 
hey, we don't like this program. We don't want to help the dreamers. That would have been a real reason. But instead, the Trump administration, knowing how detrimental it would be to them politically, hid behind the idea that it was illegal instead of just saying, we don't want to help the dreamers. Because, in fact, publicly, as Justice Kagan pointed out during the oral arguments, Trump himself has said, dreamers, you're safe with me, you know. Why? He employs illegals, <laughs> exactly. people with illegal undocumented exactly. workers. He employs them. That's exactly right. And so, you know, it is – people want this pathway and the Trump administration. That's what – basically I think the people realize that, hey – if we can win on this issue and make them give a reason that isn't, quote, it's illegal because nobody really buys that and they're trying to hide behind it, then either they win on it and people keep the DACA or it forces the Trump administration and Congress to do their so, so job. So why is it, though, it. Dan, the, the reports coming out after those hearings a few weeks ago was that the court is apparently ready to side with the Trump administration and end DACA? I mean, why? I mean, I guess it should make sense because it makes no sense. Yeah. Well, yes and no. I mean, look, the we have a divided court and people may not remember this, but the state of Texas had brought an action against DAPA, which didn't really last very long. It was similar. It had to do with parents. The parents. But of, yeah, exactly, yeah, right. when that was appealed up to the Supreme Court, it was after Justice Scalia had passed. And so the court had eight justices on it. And because it had eight and it was a 4-4 decision, the Fifth Circuit's decision stayed in place. I think people are worried that given the makeup of the court right now, that they're going to side with the Trump administration. Uh, it'll be interesting because the first issue, honestly, the issues are kind of boring in the sense that the first issue is a very legal question of whether the court can even step into this sort of debate or whether it's just Congress and the president who have the discretionary authority. Uh, you know, I listen to the oral arguments and it, it seems that you have a pretty divided court on this issue that could even possibly remand for further fact finding, which would delay and keep DACA in place. Yeah. And it's just a, an amazing thing to me in the sense that here we have Roberto. He's going through college. He's working at a software company. He wants to be a teacher. He's going to be a tax-paying, you know, person who is who is serving society in a in, in a way that that uh, uh, you know we, we would want all of our, our our kids to grow up and do. And yet, if we end DACA, we're taking eight hundred thousand Robertos and saying instead of you being able to have a career where you can make money and have a family and live a, a good life and pay your taxes and do everything we all want to do, we're basically telling them to go out on the streets and survive. How's he going to make money? So we're actually almost, in a way, incentivizing criminality, incentivizing a, a way of life that none of us would want to live simply because we want to take away their status that allows them to attain a lifestyle. Or maybe that we even worse, Jeff, and we may be saying to them, we're going to put you back on a bus. Right. We're going to send you That's back right. from where Absolutely. you came. That's right. And or in a cage you're, you're now 19, 20? 20. 20 years old. So for the last 15 years, he's been here in the United States. Right. This is the home he knows. And we're going to put him back on a bus and say, good luck. Go back to some place that you haven't been yeah. in 15 years and go figure out if you can find a life, find an education, you know, find uh, employment. All the things that his parents came to this country for. Right. Because there weren't those opportunities there. Was it the right thing to do at that time? That's, you know, that's questionable. That's for another group to decide. But kids like Roberto are here now. That's right. You know, 
And it, it seems somewhat <coughs> unfair to blame the kids for being here and to jeopardize their status and their future. Well, it's completely unfair, and we're supposed to be a compassionate country. Obviously, that is changing. And, you know, as we look ahead to the next election, you know, I don't know if we'll have a decision on DACA before then or not, but as we look ahead to the next election, again, there's so much going on with this administration that things like detention camps and the policies that are coming out on immigration, we're not even paying attention to. And the cruelty factor, there is a real cruelty factor going on and that's only it's not going to get better as we move into 2020 if if the current administration stays in power. And I, I really can't imagine what my own mind would be like as I'm going through college, as I'm doing everything I need to do, everything right to make a life for myself and my family and know that at any moment that carpet could be pulled from under my feet and I could literally be sent tumbling down into, into to peasant status. I, I mean, th that's really what we're talking about here in, in, in my mind. And, and so, so Roberto, I, I don't know how you deal with that on a, almost a, a daily basis now with the rhetoric that, that, that's out there and with the real possibility that DACA could be rescinded. Well, you, you try to become as educated as you can. You try to take advantage uh, each and every day of the opportunities that are here. Because as you said, you never know when that carpet can be taken from you. And, and all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation in which you've tried to put away in the back of your mind for so long. Um, but while we're here, while we can, you know, we're going to continue to learn. We're going to continue to try and be contributing members to this country to the best of our abilities. Um, because it's, it's, it's really hard to try and worry about the things that you cannot control. You know, I can control what I, I can control how I performed on my final exams yesterday. I can't fully control the decision that the Supreme Court takes here within the next few months. Um, but I can also control uh, the, the knowledge for, uh, with this issue of those around me, of the people that I love, of the people that can vote. Uh, as, as, as a dreamer, as, as, as a DACA recipient, I cannot vote. I cannot vote on the issues which impact me directly. But the people in my work can my professors can. A lot of the students that I come to school with are over age and can vote so I can influence them so that they can make those decisions for me because I cannot. Right. Um, but in the meantime, I can't sit here uh, and worry. You know, one thing you said that is even crazier about making Roberto sit here and worry is, and it just you know hit me when we noted the fact that, well, he could be put on a bus, sent back to Mexico, and, you know, the... the I have always tried to educate people because I believe the more that people start to understand our actual immigration, like the state of it, the more people are going to change their opinions. And what's the reality is these 800,000 DACA recipients, every last one of them that hasn't already ever been put in removal proceedings would be entitled to that. Now, why do why does that matter? Well, the idea that we're going to take away this status and employment authorization from a group of 800,000 very deserving people is okay so then what are we going to do put them into removal proceedings let's be clear there are more than 600,000 pending cases in our immigration courts right now if you there are people i have a client who was issued a notice to appear in immigration court in july of 2016 the court didn't send him a notice for his first hearing until november of 2017 and that told him his very first hearing very first one would be on September, I think it was 3rd of 2019. Wow. How are you, the, <laughs> there is no way to 
put that many people into removal proceedings, period, end of story. And that's why the Obama administration drew this bright line around this very deserving group of people, because you can't feasibly do it. And if you can't feasibly do it, then why would we want them to be here without contributing and being people like Roberto are and working? Right. Well, you exactly know, that, right. that raises this whole question. So, you know, there's an administrative question of like that says, well, we can't really end DACA because we don't have the administrative capability of adjudicating all these cases. But isn't there a more practical and human kind of consideration that says 800,000 people, a lot of them like Roberto, who are doing the right thing? They're going to school. They're working. They're paying taxes. 200 of them here. Yeah, we got 200 of them here at UNT <laughs> Dallas and a whole lot more of those in our community right. surrounding UNT Dallas. The problem is I haven't seen Trump make a single decision based on practical human considerations. And so right. <laughs> well, uh, even away from the administration, because I, I think, Roberto, you bring up a really important topic, and that is you can't impact this issue yourself because you don't vote. Right. You don't have the right to vote in this country. Right. So it's up to people who do have the, ro- the right to vote to adjudicate this uh, themselves in the, in the ballot. Absolutely. To vote for people who are taking a more judicious evaluation of uh, DACA and overall immigration so that people like yourself can continue to be the good guys right. in and, our society. And that's why conversations such as the one that we're having today and UNC Dallas giving us the voice to, to, to voice our opinions in this manner, that's why these conversations are so important. Uh, there are, I, I want to assume that there are a lot of individuals out there who, if they were to know what the DACA program is, who it impacts and who benefits from it, if they were to, 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 to know the truths of it, they would be fueled to vote for an individual which is going to represent the needs of the DACA community or, or you know, us in, in accordingly. It would influence them to vote for someone who can represent us. Um, and so that's, that's why it's so important to have these conversations, to be open about it. Uh, I, I used to live in fear of people realizing my immigration status because of what could happen. I realized I was mistaken to do that because I was keeping important information from those that can make decisions for me. I want them to know who I am. I want them to know the way in which the DACA community is impacting this country because we need you to make those decisions for us. Um, but sitting here hiding my status is not going to help the issue at all, you know? Yeah, we need we need people to see people like Roberto to see that he's not a drug dealer. He's not a criminal. Uh, Our commencement speaker at graduation last year, Hector Robledo, undocumented, a dreamer, but a Newman Civic fellow, meaning his involvement in the community and this campus was so overwhelming. They they made him a, you know, this national prestigious award. Uh, He was just in Washington, D.C. at at the, the last Newman convention representing UNT Dallas. Again, 200 right here. We hold voter registration drives a lot on this campus. So watch our social media, look for emails from voter registration is going on. And I encourage people on this campus because people may not even know who DACA recipients are, like you said, you know, may, may not even know. The more you get to know who they are, the more you realize that these are people who just want to make a good life in this country. They were brought here, uh, not under their control again as children. And so I encourage everyone to vote. And even if you are not into politics or you don't think you, uh, you know, want to vote or you think the government's so messed up that it doesn't matter which side you vote for, whatever, think about this issue 
and cast your vote for somebody like Roberto who cannot cast his vote and think what his future can be if there is no DACA protection for him. Again, we're talking about someone who is getting college educated to have a degree who very, very real world possibility that he could be reduced to having to work in this country illegally or being deported to a country that he really doesn't even know. So I I encourage everyone to take your vote very, very seriously, whether you are involved in politics or not. And, you know, Jeff, I urge everyone on campus and in the community to get to know Roberto, but also to get to know some of the other dreamers uh, who are on campus and off campus, Mm -hmm. because these are real human beings. That's right. We start to think about them as statistics, as, you know, this kind of person or whatever, whatever the rhetoric is. Get to know the human being here and see if you can't find it in your heart to really understand their situation and then vote your conscience. That's right. And I'll tell you one other quick little story here. So at UNT Dallas, uh, Dr. Mara Vaughn started a course here three years ago called Spanish in the Community. And it's a free course held, I believe now it's held twice a week for uh, people within the community who are uh, green card holders, so so legal residents, right, to come who, who who want to become citizens, and we have UNT Dallas students take this course and they become mentors and teachers for these community members who come in to learn how to take the naturalization test, right, and that class has grown each year, and just last week we had graduation. Uh, I believe it was up to 70 people graduating in that class. And these are community members who are coming here after work, sometimes missing work, to come here and take that class because of their desire to be American citizens. And that test can be very intimidating to take. I couldn't pass that test. Exactly. There's a lot to it. And and there's there's a one-on-one interview component to it. And so our students are teaching community members how to take that test, how to pass that test so they can become citizens and, and then get better jobs that have health benefits and so forth and so on and be even better contributing citizens to the country. You know, Dan, you know, as we think about this whole issue, what do you think our students and our faculty and members of the UNT Dallas community can do or think about this issue? You know, I think that first and foremost, I mean, one, we, we talk about getting out and voting, but I mean, even before that, like I said, our our congressmen, senators, nobody is willing to say I'm against the dreamers, right? Con- making those calls, letting our people that represent us know that, hey, you got to fix this. You know, why not fix it before the Supreme Court makes its decision and put the minds at ease of all these people? And and it's not necessarily responsive to that question. But one other thing I wanted to note is you mentioned get out and get to know these 200 dreamers. You know, what's crazy is you probably have no idea who those dreamers yeah, like you Roberto are. Know them. Yeah, exactly. Because, <laughs> you know, Roberto's just like any U.S. citizen, right? He speaks like a U.S. He's been here forever. And so people don't realize that, you know, they have good friends and there are good people in their lives that are these dreamers because they've always assumed they're citizens. And so, yes. Excellent. Well, been a great discussion here, fellas. Uh, just just an incredibly important topic and, and one that we cannot discuss enough and, and is going to continue to be in the news. And sort of as Dan said, people sometimes think they can't make a difference, but you can call, email your, your senators and your congressmen and let them know your feelings on this issue. And with that, Roberto Garcia, thank you so much for being here. Thank you guys for having Dan me. Dan UNT Dallas Law Professor. Thank you. Thank you so much. Co-host Greg Campbell. And once again, this is Urban Advantage Podcast.
the voice of UNT Dallas. And, and the Southern, Southern Dallas. Dallas community. <laughs> Sorry about that, Greg. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Urban Advantage podcast, the official voice of the University of North Texas at Dallas and the Southern Dallas community. To listen to past episodes, check us out on Apple Podcasts or at untdallas.edu slash urbanadvantage. And remember, blaze your trail. So always big things happening at UNT Dallas. We uh, recently had another graduation, fall 2019 commencement, with uh, some 400 graduates. That gives us over 1,200 graduates since last fall. So UNT Dallas continuing to grow, produce career-ready graduates who are going off into the workforce. Uh, Big news coming up, UNT Dallas Trailblazers. How would you like to be called UNT Dallas Trailblazers fans? Not just fans of the university, sports fans. That's right. We are bringing, we are attempting to bring, intercollegiate athletics program to UNT Dallas. Students of UNT Dallas, it is now going to be in your hands. Coming up very soon, uh, you'll be needing to watch your email for instructions on how to vote and vote for athletics at UNT Dallas. And, uh, you know, you can be the, uh, the group of students that, that, that start uh, what would be a great thing. You know, every university has an athletics program. UNT Dallas, we want to become that full, complete university, bring athletics to UNT Dallas. So students vote yes. You will see that coming up very soon. Big things happening down at Redbird uh, Mall Redevelopment. In the news, UT Southwestern taking 150,000 feet to build their new facility down in Redbird. Going to be another major service and activity for the Southern Dallas community and uh, in great proximity to UNT Dallas. Hope everybody had a happy holiday season, a happy new year, and we will see you back here next time on The Urban Advantage. The Urban Advantage podcast is a production of UNT Dallas and recorded on campus in Southern Oak Cliff. Our hosts are Jeff Kaplan and Greg Campbell. Our production team is Jared Horn, Shania Anderson, and the voice talents of Dean Boyd. If you like the show, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and follow at UNT Dallas on any social media. For more information or to reach out, head to our home at untdallas.edu slash urbanadvantage.